Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 178. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Eric Francis. Good morning, Kip. How are you? Doing very well, and really excited to get into this topic with you. And as the title clearly indicates, I'm rather averse to interviews as a term. I don't like being called an interviewer. I don't like participating in interviews. And we'll get into that. But as I hope this show has illustrated, I really love conversations. I think they are one of our greatest gifts as people. And insofar as we are a storytelling species, I think conversations present a very natural muscle for many of us to flex. But before I get too deep into the weeds, I suggested this topic to you as one we might discuss, and you laughed, a very gleeful and enthusiastic laugh, if I may. And I'd love to know what was going through your head after I suggested this, and some thoughts you might have had after that initial suggestion. Kip, it was something that made me laugh in large part because I spent 25 years as a journalist, primarily as a print journalist. And so most of my adult life and most of my career has been built upon interviews. So when you talked about comparing or even juxtaposing interviews and conversations, it really struck a chord with me. I am very much an interviews kind of guy. I don't have anything against conversation. I think conversation is fantastic. But because I spent so much time as a journalist, I recognize a particular value interviews have that conversations cannot address in my mind. And that's what made me want to sit down and talk with you about this. For me, it's been interesting because I've never labeled myself as an interviewer, and I've certainly participated in interviews, which we'll come back to. But in starting Stride and Saunter, this project that I've really loved, I've never described it as an interview show, and in fact, I've always said at the end of every episode, a conversation among, not simply a conversation between, because to me, conversations can be, and I think often are, multi-layered and multi-dimensional, and present various options for routes. They also allow for wandering. And conversely, when people have said, Kip, that was a great interview, or I think you're a great interviewer, to me, though it's not explicitly an insult, I do associate interviews with a more narrow and limited scope. And in thinking and preparing for this episode, I've come up with various metaphors to describe that, one of which being that interviews feel like two windows in parallel to one another, maybe across an alleyway or a street that allow a very limited view into one another's rooms, whereas conversations feel like corridors. There's a direct access to rooms or partitions at the opposite end of either corridor, and certainly interviews serve their purpose, but as far as a show which explores humanity, I've always felt that a conversational approach makes the most sense. Well, Kip, I understand your point of view there, and I'd like to offer a slightly different angle of interpretation on those terms. For me, if you want to communicate ideas, you have a conversation. If you want to communicate information, you have an interview. They both have their own purpose. And for a podcast like Stride and Saunter, conversation serves your purpose. But again, as a newsman for 25 years, 
conversations really wouldn't have served my purpose, or more importantly, they wouldn't have served my readership, my audience. And so when you talk about being a little averse to the term interviewer, I can understand that, but it suits your end. So conversation is the correct means for what you want to do. And looking for a moment at the term interviewer, I also feel like professionalism and the identity that many professionals curate plays a pretty important role in this conversation because one might be known as a very skilled interviewer. But I don't know if, as a culture, we ever consider people as skilled conversationalists. We might leave a dinner party and think, oh, that person was really great at conversation tonight and really interesting to talk to. But I do think many people apply the terms interviewer or interview to conversations that they want to view in a professional lens for one reason or another. I see where you're going with that. And I'd like to offer a slight twist on that. The difference between being a conversationalist and an interviewer may come down to marketability. Interviewing is a marketable skill. You generally can't go out there and get a job as a conversationalist. Even if you look at, say, a lot of the television talk shows, Ellen or David Letterman or Jay Leno and their counterparts, they present these shows as having a conversation with their guests, but they're clearly interviewing them. On the other hand, your example of going to a party and who you remember the most clearly and who you enjoyed spending your time with speaks to conversational skills. And I think it's interesting that those are skills that at one point we would have called small talk, which is a dismissive sort of term. But what they really represent is the ability for someone to connect with another person in a social environment. And that is where conversation has the advantage over interviewing. I'll admit, I have been to parties and social functions and I have interviewed people. And sometimes it's their own fault if I can say that because they'll ask me, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm a journalist. And they would say, oh, really? Well, what would you ask me if you, if you were interviewing me? And so I would start down the, the usual little script I have for situations like that. And suddenly they're telling me their life story, which is also actually a great way to get out of conversations. Because once you get people started talking about themselves, they tend to go on. I'm so happy that you bring up life stories, larger narratives that help guide and dictate who we are, and also the idea of a script. Because I think one of my deeper complaints is not necessarily the distinction between interview and conversation, but rather that as a larger culture, I don't think we talk about talking very often. And I wish we did. Because to me, as I've said, I think it's one of the greatest joys of being alive, that we can connect with other people and share, as you said, not only ideas and information, but emotions and perspectives, which may be contained within the aforementioned concepts. And what I love about conversation, at least as I would define it, is that it has not only the opportunity to wander, but to naturally gravitate towards areas of interest. You could be interviewing a banker because you need that information, but if they really care about X, Y, or Z, on a human level, I'd love to see the conversation shift towards enthusiasm because that's apparent when listening to, and I think in certain cases, reading a conversation that has been transcribed. I recognize, of course, in a professional setting, you don't have the freedom to do so, 
but I would argue that an interview mentality has diffused into the way everyday people interact with one another. There is a script there. And I'm not saying that all interviews are scripts, but outside of professional settings, I wonder if there is a proper or necessary application for a more scripted interaction like that. I'd say that you will find that proper application primarily with new acquaintances. You can have a conversation with someone you have just met, but if you want to get to know them, you're going to have to ask pointed questions. You're going to have to move them in a certain direction and allow them to guide you with their questions so you each get the information you want about the other. I mean, I frequently ask people very shortly after I've met them, so where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What did your parents do? And these are all questions that generally outside of a quick introduction aren't going to come up in a social conversation, but I find it gives me a lot of insight to someone. Because if I know that they grew up in the South, then I have that connection with them because I grew up in the South and I can start probing them for cultural touchstones that we might share or certain ideas that we might both find interesting for later conversation. If I find out that their parents served in the military or were members of the Peace Corps or were missionaries or worked in the oil industry. All of these give me deeper insight into what makes them the person they are today. And I bank those away because, in my mind, without a certain amount of that fundamental information, you can't have the most interesting conversations with someone. You also mentioned interviews seeping into culture in a broader way and people approaching conversations with a script. Well, that to me speaks to something that I used to do as a professional and still do today, and that is my interviews are geared towards what's called narrative journalism. I don't just want to relate the facts. I want to tell the story of the person I'm interviewing. Now, that's going to apply differently, whether I am writing a brief news story or a longer form profile or feature. But I think if you look at the kind of journalism that has developed over the last 30 years, especially in larger publications where they have the luxury of space and staff, what you'll see is the old inverted pyramid formula for writing a news story doesn't apply anymore. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have a plot, for lack of a better word. And when you read it, it's not simply someone answering questions, but it's someone giving you deeper information, details, not just the who, where, what, when, why, and how, but their motivations and their inspirations, or their excuses, and their rationalizations. To me, maybe that's where we can find a middle ground, in that a narrative journalism article is not a conversation between two people, but it carries some of the elements of that conversation. And perhaps that is where what you call the interview sort of bleeding out into society is also where conversation is affecting journalism and interviewing. I really appreciate that perspective, and you also mentioned publications having the luxury of space and staff, and I'd like to introduce an additional luxury, one that feels more luxurious in the 21st century, that of time. 
Because in a society where a lot of us move, think, and act with a great deal of urgency because of deadlines and other things we have to fit into our daily, weekly, monthly schedules, I don't think people always have the time to listen to conversations because they can meander. And for that reason, listening to, let's say, a 90-minute podcast is a big ask of people. And it's one of the reasons, frankly, that I tend to avoid longer shows because often they are conversational and may not necessarily have a singular direction, which isn't bad. But I do think that we live in a culture where we expect a very clear A to B. I'm listening to this because I want this. I'm watching this because I expect it to be this. And so I think an interview culture, if I may use that term, is one that tries to mitigate risk and doesn't want to step into the unknown as often. And I personally love exploring the unknown, especially with a partner, because I think there are great things to be found out there. I love your point about time as a luxury. I spent a good portion of my career working for local newspapers that were weekly newspapers. And we had the luxury of time over, say, our counterparts at the daily papers because we could spend the better part of a week developing a story before we wrote it. On the other hand, they got the breaking news that we didn't get. So there is a balance between time as a luxury and the value of information on a more urgent schedule. But you also raised another issue, which is a real pet peeve for me as a journalist. The flip side of time, which is people don't want perhaps to take the time to listen to or to read longer form media. And that brings us to one of the Internet's favorite memes, which is TLDR, too long didn't read. That is anathema to me, because if you are not willing as a reader to invest time into whatever information source you favor, whether that's based on conversations or interviews, then you are willfully denying yourself better information and a fuller understanding of whatever the topic at hand is. I will disagree with you somewhat, though, on your characterization of this A to B journey, where you say that because we do A to reach B, that may make the interviewer more averse to taking risks because they want to follow that straight line. I think that, again, if you look at modern narrative journalism, you're going to find that one of its characteristics is that it does wander a little. It wanders within certain parameters. You have a subject and you have information you're trying to communicate, but you don't simply ask the direct question, get the direct answer, and report that to your audience. You try to draw out of the person you're interviewing a lot of important information, things that may seem tangential to your ultimate goal, but all of which are applicable to the situation. I would not simply walk into an interview with a list of six questions, ask those questions, get those answers, and leave. That's a disservice to my audience. I'm going to ask follow-up questions based on the answers that are given me. Some of those answers might take us way off topic, but I'm going to find the elements of those answers that apply, even tangentially, to the information I'm trying to communicate. And I'm going to work those into my story and make it more readable, more interesting, and make the person I'm interviewing a more three-dimensional figure and not simply a talking head who's answering questions from the media. 
So with the mention of fleshing someone out and making them a more three-dimensional and human figure, one thing I'd been thinking on in preparation for this conversation is how to characterize or illustrate my understanding of the differences between conversations and interviews. And one image I struck that I'm really fond of involves a salad. And I would contend that you wouldn't just eat the tomatoes or the croutons in a salad. The idea is to consume the dish as a whole, which is often a mixture of various things, in the same way that a person is various traits and qualities. And I do understand that those qualities may not visibly link with one another, and you may be speaking with someone who cannot articulate how those pieces fit together, but I'd love to know as an interviewer how you might avoid being, quote, picky, or if that's even a concern that you've had when interviewing people. Oh, Kip, it's not the interviewer who you have to worry about being picky. It's the people who are consuming the end product. Remember, not everybody likes salad. So I would say that if we're going to stick with a food-based analogy, the difference between interview and conversation in that context is that conversation is more of a buffet where you get to kind of pick and choose the things or the people that you want to have in your conversation. An interview is going to be a little more like a fixed menu where someone is going to come to you and say, here's what you're having tonight. But I think in both cases, the people who are involved in the conversation, the people who are conducting the interview, have a responsibility to make both that buffet and that fixed menu as attractive as possible to the people they are serving it up to. Very well said. And earlier, you'd mentioned how interviewers can guide that interaction, what questions are asked, and of course, what topics or ideas are brought up. And I think I've largely been guiding what I would like to be a conversation. So I'll turn it over to you because I'd love to see what directions you might take as we wander. I think the first thing I'd like to do is pull the curtain back just a little for your listeners. We have truly been having a conversation. As we've been sitting at the table and recording this, we've been muting microphones, we've been rethinking sentences, we have been making ourselves more eloquent than maybe we were on the first effort. Whereas in an interview, that wouldn't happen. The important thing for me as a journalist when I'm conducting as an interview is that it is as organic as possible, that I follow the flow of the discussion that's happening between us that I nudge it in directions that I think will be most interesting or most useful for my audience, and that I'm able to, say, jump in and interrupt the person I'm speaking to to ask them to elaborate on a certain point or to bring them back to the subject of the interview. Whereas here we have, with our luxury of time, the ability to think about what we just said and rephrase it so that it's both clearer for our listeners and so that it better expresses what we're truly thinking and feeling at that moment. And just to elaborate a little on what I just said, it took me four takes to say that sentence the way I wanted to say it. And I'm grateful for your revelatory attitude because I believe honesty is fundamental to both a successful interview and, if you'll apply the term in both cases, a successful conversation. And while I have observed some interviews that seem a bit more predatory or dishonest, I don't think that's the majority of interviews in journalism and what journalism as a set of principles strives to achieve. 
Absolutely. And one thing I would like to point out, Kip, is probably the essential dichotomy of interviews and conversations is that at their core, all interviews are to some degree adversarial, not necessarily hostile, not necessarily forced, but you are trying to get some information from the person you are interviewing especially when you are covering a news beat, those people sometimes do not want to share that information. And you have to be able to winkle that out of them in ways that are both ethical and effective. And it can be immensely difficult. You contend with personality conflicts. I have interviewed people who simply did not like me. But because they were a city official or a public employee and I was the reporter covering that beat, I was the only person who was going to come talk to them about this subject. And at the same time, they had a legal obligation to disclose certain information to me under public information laws. That, I think, is where you find the starkest difference between interview and conversation. Neither you nor I, I'd wager, would force a conversation upon someone. That's not the point of conversation. I think as long as people bear that particular difference in mind, Perhaps it will help them appreciate both interviews and conversations a little more. I had previously brought up that interviews can at times feel very scripted, and as you just pointed out, they are also planned interactions, where two individuals come together at an agreed time and place to exchange information. And going from that to the format of this show, which has always been, to an extent, improvised, I was really intrigued recently when someone with whom I was recording requested notes from me prior to the conversation regarding my thoughts on the topic, and I was certainly willing to share them and do whatever I could to make that person more comfortable, because I think that's also really crucial to both great interviews and great conversations. And not too long after that interaction, you and I prepared for this episode, and I offered you the same option, and you declined. I did, and the reason I declined is that, for me, an interview, not necessarily a conversation, is something that should not be scripted ahead of time. In news coverage, because it is so frequently an adversarial process, you want to ensure that the answers you are getting to your questions and the information that you are getting from your subject are genuine, even off the cuff. What you don't want, especially when you're interviewing political figures, is to give them the opportunity to craft the perfect answer to every question you are going to ask, because then they're not presenting themselves or their ideas to your audience. What they're presenting is their public relations image, or they're presenting their carefully crafted political message. You want answers that are from the gut and you want information that is as pure as possible. In a conversation, I don't think I would want to have too much advance notice either, because to me that takes the spontaneity out of it. I would much rather be surprised when I find out that, lo and behold, you love Settlers of Catan, which is a board game I love as well, and we can take off on that tangent and see where it leads us. And so, in most instances, I would reject the opportunity to have a list of questions presented to me or show notes presented to me in advance. And I don't think that's how everyone would respond, especially in this situation with a conversational podcast, but that's my personal preference. And I certainly respect that. Before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this 
conversation. What I would like our audience to consider is when they listen to an interview and they find themselves aggravated with the questions of the interviewer or upset about the direction it seems to be going, understand what the actual purpose behind that interview is. It's not to aggravate the audience. It's not to make the person being interviewed look bad. It is ultimately to get a certain piece of information and communicate that to the audience. And sometimes that is, as I said, an adversarial process. It does not make the interviewer and the interviewee enemies, but it adds a certain tension that I think is as informative sometimes as the information that ultimately comes out of the interview. And when they go into a conversation, I hope they'll consider asking a few pointed questions, not necessarily to direct the entire flow of the conversation, but to draw out a specific little tidbit about the person they've just met or the person they've known for years to maybe send the conversation in a new direction. I completely agree. And I think a lot of people presume questions belong in interviews and more open or less pointed statements belong in conversations. But for all of my skepticism about interviews, I do feel there's valuable crossover there. I'd also love the audience to think about interviews in the context of a market relationship, a trade, if you will, and conversations as more of an exploration. I don't think this is necessarily the only lenses through which we can view those two, but where might that schema fall apart? And where might conversations in some ways be trades where interviews can actually be explorations? And Eric, I'd like to thank you not only for coming on and sharing some great wisdom, but also for moving the needle a bit and shifting my opinion, which I think is often very possible via conversation. And thank you, Kip, for having me here and engaging me in this lovely conversation. I will not call you an interviewer, but I will say that you're a really good talker. And where I was raised, that's a pretty high compliment. Well, compliment proudly received. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we genuinely love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback you'd like to share, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where you can find various perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.